Welcome to the Accessible Yoga Podcast, where we explore how to make space for everyone in the yoga community. This podcast is brought to you by the Accessible Yoga Association, a nonprofit organization focused on accessibility and equity in yoga. Hi, I'm your host, Jeevana Heyman. My pronouns are he and him, and I serve as the director of Accessible Yoga. And I'm your co-host, Amber Carnes. My pronouns are she and her, and I serve as president of the Accessible Yoga Board of Directors. Hi, everyone. It's Jeevana. I'm back for another episode of the Accessible Yoga Podcast with a very special guest today, uh, one of my teachers, Nischula Devi. Hi, Nischula. Hi, Jeevana. Hi. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I, you know, I just want to say how excited I am to have you and talk to you. Um, you really were one of my most important teachers, um, and I'm happy to talk more about that. I also think that you've just had such a major impact on yoga in the last, I don't know, how many years. Um, and you have four books out. I just want to mention them before we get started. Uh, the Secret Power of Yoga, which we're going to talk about a little bit today which is a translation of the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. Um, the Meditation in the Yoga Tradition, the Namaste Effect, and the Healing Path of Yoga. And I think that was your first book. Is that right? The Healing Path of Yoga. Yes. And I, I met you when you, you basically created the yoga portion of the Dean Ornish program. I don't even know when that was. And I got to train with you and then work with you. You basically taught me how to adapt yoga you know which was i mean that's what i do i was like you really were like such a major influence in my life and helped me kind of think of what accessible yoga could be so i'm just incredibly grateful to you and and thanks for being here so how are you i'm good very well thank you yeah and so is the healing path of yoga the first one was that your first book yeah, that was the first one. It was um, my intention. It was the very beginning of yoga therapy, uh, as we know it today, in a broader spectrum. And I just felt like I wanted to write down my experiences of people, especially with cardiac and cancer that I had been working with for many years. And I wanted people to understand it. Now it seems a little funny, but I wanted people to understand at that point that yoga could be therapeutic. Yeah. So that book was written, and it now has become a classic because it's the first one. It's the first one that ever had chair poses in it, first yeah. one that ever had explanations of how to adapt poses. So, um, yeah, that was time, year 2000, was, right? Yeah. At the time, it was revolutionary. <laughs> now it's like, oh, it's a yoga therapy book. So um, <laughs> things have changed in the last 22 years, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. was revolutionary. And I know, you know, it was exactly what I was looking for. I mean, you really helped open my eyes. And I know, I mean, I think the Dean Ornish program in general helped to kind of pave the way for yep. yoga therapy today, yep. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was incredible. And I know, was I know you were... I had an interesting experience a couple of weeks ago and having to go into a Western medical establishment. And uh, it was a very unpleasant experience. I won't go into mm. the experience with it. But as I was sitting there experiencing this, I thought to myself, all those years that I tried to reform the medical community, and I think I failed. 
And then another part of my mind came in and said, yes, but you brought the alternative way of healing into the mainstream. So it offset the uh, disappointment in how the medical establishment has not changed. So, yeah. um, so it was an interesting juxtaposition. And I think yeah. the healing path of yoga had something to do with that. And the Dean Ornish program definitely brought alternative medicine into Main Street. So I felt good about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's possible for anyone to change the West Western medicine at this point. It's like beyond help. But, you know, like you said, <laughs> yoga therapy, yoga therapy. Like, I, I know that when I met you, it just no one else was doing it. I mean, there was yeah. really no, um, not at least, no one was really trying to integrate yoga into Western medicine the way yeah. that you were um, and Dean Ornish. And that was just, it was groundbreaking and exciting. I, I mean, it was exciting times, I think. It was exciting. And I don't think most people have the experience because I was trained in Western medicine. I was a physician's right. assistant. So I had, I knew what happened there and I knew what happened in the yoga world. And I was trying mm -hmm. to, meld the two together and um well we see the results and, and in the next 10 years we're going to see much more i have no doubt yeah of people going and being able to have either or and both at the same time yeah i wondered if you could talk about that like how do you feel it's gone so it's been I don't know how long now, what, 30 years since you started that? Is that right? Yeah, Maybe uh, it was well, we started the, the Ornish program. <laughs> I, hate, <laughs> I hate to even think about it to say the truth. In 82. 82. Okay, wow. That's w more than 30 years. That's, and we'll, That's 40 we years. Our, we started getting our, um, our protocol together and we took the first patients in 84. Wow. And the, the amazing thing, if you want to really go further, is some of those patients are still meeting today, every Monday. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. They become a family. They become a family. And but I mean, it's amazing that they're still alive. That's 40 years. Well, yes. And that says something for how yoga affects the body and especially the heart. Yeah. Yeah. Very powerful. But how do you feel um, yoga therapy has about yoga therapy? I mean, I don't, I, it's, I know it's a large, now it's a big area. It's a big field, lots of different things happening in it. But did you ever imagine this? Is this what you had no. in mind? No, I actually didn't. And I didn't imagine that yoga would become like it has. Uh -huh. um, so those, those, both those things and you know, I think that I have enough experience to know that you can start something, but then it takes on a life of its own. And it's going where it needs to go because we're very, um, we're a society that likes trends and likes new things and takes them on with such fervor that I'm hoping it's not just a trend. I'm hoping this is something here to stay. Um, people yeah. eating well, moving their bodies, in touch with their spirit. All that should be commonplace on, on a day-to-day -day basis. So right. I'm hoping that that stays. And mm -hmm. uh, yoga therapy will go through more of changes because that's what it does. And um, 
it, it's interesting because when I started, and I'm smiling, I'm laughing, which people can't see, it's audio, but I'm laughing because um, there were just about five of us that started all this. And when we started it, we had no idea where it was going to go. No idea. But we just knew that it had to uh, have some kind of foundation to it. People couldn't just take what they learned from yoga and go out, and most people didn't have the skills, and go out and work with people who were ill. Um, mm -hmm. But we had no idea that. I think I, I, I was one of the founders of International Association of Yoga Therapists. I think we just celebrated our 35th year or something. Uh -huh. And that's mind-boggling <laughs> to me because yeah. you just do it. You just teach people. You just see people. And you don't think about the years or what you're doing. You just do it. And suddenly all, thousands of people are now doing it. And yeah. there's training programs all over the world. And people are being helped by it. So that gives me mm -hmm. great joy. Oh, and good. it's time for me to pull out. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, yeah. because there's, in everything, there's, there's different levels. There's the visionaries. And then when the vision is solidified, the sustainers take over. And they're the ones that, ha that have it right now. The visionaries kind of back out a little bit. And we start envisioning something else. We go mm -hmm. to the next vision. Whatever that might be. What and is that? I mean, can you share what that might be? Yeah, I don't know if that's. You know, what I my and it was my original intention, and then I got into yoga therapy. I think what yoga therapy has done in in a, in a larger way than just help the people heal, uh, it's actually brought them to the ultimate healing of realizing there's something else beside the body and the mind. So my hope is to move them into that every moment knowledge that they are something greater than what they see in the mirror. That there's a part of them that's the same as the part of the person in tribal Africa, that they share something. And mm -hmm. that's my hope. Because I think that's the next stage of healing after we take care of the body and even the mind. We have to get to the spirit because real healing can't take place without the spirit being present. So that's and, my... Uh -huh. and, and that's the heart of yoga. I mean, that's what you're saying is you want yeah. to go back to the essence of yes. the teachings. And, and something that sustains people... Because no matter how much we treat them or give them tools to treat themselves, sickness happens. It just does. It's, it's just a part of life. Right. We're not, and, and my intention always was not to get rid of the diseases, but to understand why we have them and to correct the underlying aspect of it. Therefore, mm -hmm. the disease then cures itself. So mm -hmm. I feel like if people can get back to who they are, not identifying with a weak body or a weak mind, but really seeing that they're part of that divine essence, then I think everything mm -hmm. will change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, that's really what yoga is for. And I know, I mean, if we could talk for a minute about your 
translation of the Yoga Sutras, I just want to say, I mean, you are, <laughs> you have such an important voice, I think, in terms of the way you've um, offered those teachings. And it's interesting, I think you and I have spoken about this before, but the subtitle, so, so the book is The Secret Power of Yoga, A Woman's Guide to the Heart and Spirit of the Yoga Sutras. But that's not really, like, what does that mean to you? When you say a woman's guide. What it means guide. to me is that a woman is guiding. So it's a woman's voice and a woman's heart is yeah. guiding people to the Yoga Sutras because most of the translations are from the mind. And while they're very scholarly, a lot of them, um, a lot of people can't re relate to them because I think that what happens with yoga, whether you have a male or female body, or identify with it. There's a feminine part of us that comes out because the heart is being um, engaged. Right. And when the heart is getting engaged, we develop more female characteristics, no matter what kind of body we're in. We develop more mm. compassion. We develop yeah. more understanding, um, empathy, etc. So, also, at the time, the reason that they did that subtitle was very interesting. There had been no other books written by a woman, interpreted by a woman. And they wanted it to stand out because mm -hmm. most of the people that practice yoga and had practiced yoga are women. Right. So there's about 90%, maybe 85% that are practicing that could not relate to the, all this mind, mental stuff. Mm -hmm. And it, when it became a part of the yoga teacher's training to take the yoga sutra classes, they didn't want to do it. And then this uh -huh. one came out and it suddenly was, okay, this I can relate to. Yeah. Because I have parables in it that are women parables. Mm -hmm. um, not, and all the others are male power parables. So, yeah. Um, and and it's funny, even in something like the Bible, women are barely mentioned. And if they are, it's in a negative way. They're either barren or prostitutes. Mm -hmm. So it was time for the women to shine a little bit. Not to do not to put the men down, because I don't think that's that's not yoga. Mm -hmm. But it was to it was like the old story with the rowboats. When the tide rises. The, the yachts rise, but also the rowboats rise. Uh -huh. And it was the same kind of thing. If, if you're with the heart, everything rises. Everything uh -huh. goes. Um, which is, yeah. Everything comes into that. And, you know, it's also, it was interesting. My, um, my literary agent at the time was very much into uh, literacy, obviously, in, in all over the world. And that was her uh, passion. And she once said to me, you know, when women are educated, the whole family is educated. Hmm. So I thought, well, okay, this is a good thing to do. And I guess it was good because it's been very successful. And in May, we're coming out with the second edition where I added the last two padas, which were a little bit more esoteric. And I didn't necessarily uh -huh. want them want to confuse people anymore, they were, they were confused because it talks about powers and things. Yeah. But as the time got on, I realized not only I was ready to write it, but I think the yoga students were ready to read it. 
I'm so excited about that. Yeah, me too. I, I just want to say, though, that I, first of all, I quote you in my book, in my latest book. And, and the thing that I love that you do in, the, in, in your translation of the sutras is you, you make, very often you'll take negatives and make them positive. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's so much easier for my mind to grasp. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's yeah. so hard to think of not doing something, <laughs> but instead to give me like a direction, do yeah. this, Yeah. you know, like, like I'll, the example I used, I think that I quote you on is Ahimsa and your translation is basically love yeah. and compassion. Yeah. And to me, it's so beautiful because to say, oh, to not harm, it's like, what does that mean? You know, to not harm. It's complex, but when you say to be loving and compassionate, that's, that's right. just so much clearer. It's so much easier. It's and so much how easier. do you how do you equate nonviolence mm -hmm. with the high, one of the highest spiritual truths? It's just not. It's love and compassion. Love so and thank compassion. you for for experiencing that because that was my intention. I really yeah. wanted to get rid of all the nons and the uns, and <laughs> it was interesting because. Um, I also got rid of a lot of the he's. Now, in, the, in this next book, I had to write a little bit more about that because now we have people identifying with neither, but we haven't come up with a good pronoun yet. So mm -hmm. I address that in the book, uh, how we need to find something that includes everybody. Everybody mm -hmm. has to be included because it doesn't matter what you identify as. You are, we are all spiritual beings. Right. Which right. Is sex yeah. Itself. yeah. Yeah. We'll be right back with the podcast after this message from Love Your Brain. March is Brain Injury Awareness Month. And did you know that yoga and meditation can support people healing after a brain injury? Love Your Brain is a nonprofit that improves the quality of life of people affected by traumatic brain injury, including concussion, through free research-backed yoga, mindfulness, and retreat programs and certification level trainings for folks interested in neurodiversity and yoga. This month, Love Your Brain is hosting their annual Mindful March Meditation Challenge. Sign up today and receive 31 powerful meditation practices from teachers at the forefront of brain injury healing and social justice like RJ Lissander, Tracy Stanley, Michelle C. Johnson, and more. Their goal is to have over 1,000 people meditating together in solidarity with the brain injury community. And by joining, your donation helps keep Love Your Brain's accessible yoga and meditation programs free for the brain injury community. Visit loveyourbrain.com to learn more. And the other thing, um, I just quoted you the other day, I think in our last episode of this podcast, um, an image that you taught me about meditation when you were you i mean i've taken many trainings with you over the years but um there's an image that stuck with me which was you said once that meditating is like it's like instead of walking down the street it's like you're flying in the airplane over that same street and you have a different view mm -hmm. a different perspective and i just felt like that was such a beautiful image because it's not that we need to change anything we're not trying to change the world all we have to do is shift the way we see things and, and it'll look different. And I thought that was very powerful too. And when we shift, the world shifts. 
Yeah. If enough people shift in a certain direction, it shifts. And I think people are basically afraid of meditation. It's something that seems so far away and so mystical. So I try to make it simple enough, but keep the mysticism in it. Because Mm -hmm. you take the mysticism out of yoga and there's nothing left. It's a Mm. mystical tradition. Okay, wait. So that makes me want to go back to talking about the third and fourth padas. Yeah. <laughs> of course, I haven't read what you've written yet, but I'm just curious. Could you give us like a sense? Of... You can pre-order it on Amazon. Oh, okay, I'll pre-order it. But I'm also wondering, uh, and we'll put a link in the show notes for that, for people can find a pre-order. Thank you. Um, um, it comes out in May, I see. May 10th. Um. But could you give me a sense of where where do you go with that with those padas? Like I know I know in Pada three it's very much about the powers. Like if you meditate on a feather, you can levitate stuff like that. Where where do you go with that? Well, like, what do you? So first of all, Pada three is really about meditation. That's yeah. really the meditation, and then it goes into I call them gifts along the way, uh-huh. the powers. Because I think what has happened, they've been demonized. And I'm here to defend them. Uh, I think it's something that naturally happens. And a lot of people will have them from birth, from previous life, etc. And what I'm trying to show people is that you may already have it. This is what it feels like. Be aware if you have it. And then that. what I do is I take the eight, there's eight major cities, uh, being light is a feather, heavy is this. And, yeah. and what I do is I bring them into our world and talk about people who haven't mastered them. Like, for instance, uh, for the light is a feather, I use Bereshnikov as an example, uh-huh. the famous ballet dancer, yes. who I actually saw leap onto the stage. And it looked like he was flying. He made himself that light. Mm -hmm. And when he landed, he landed with the grace of an eagle. So what I'm trying to say to people, yes, these may be beyond what you are right now. But these are things that do happen in our world. They may not be exact, but it's the beginning of that city. Yes. Well, actually, the one I could always relate to and I'm, I'm, I'm not remembering it exactly, you can help me, but it's where you could basically read someone's mind by meditating on the shape of their body, like the, their form. And it always made me think of kind of my intuitive feelings that I got about people exactly. when I met them, like exactly. from just seeing them and getting their energy. Yeah. Exactly. And this is exactly why I put it that way. I want mm-hmm. you to know that you already have some of those cities. Mm-hmm. That they're not so far out. The important thing and why we've been cautioned against them is they're so enticing that people want to get to, to be there more. And instead, mm-hmm. so they say to you, don't get caught up in them. If they come, understand them, and then go on to your spiritual expansion. Awesome. And, but I, I felt that that people needed to know. I, I, I'm i not one of those people that thinks, oh, you don't need to know that. That's not important. 
I feel mm-hmm. it's up to you. I'm putting mm-hmm. it out there. If you want to understand it or you want to read it, great. If you don't, great. But mm-hmm. you're, you're adults. You should be able to have that material available to you. Yeah. And the irony, this is so funny, is everybody says, don't pay attention to the third pata. It has more sutras in it than any of the other padas. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, somebody <laughs> thought they were important. And I certainly, uh, I did the mm-hmm. best I could with them. Because it's hard to explain a lot of them. Uh, it's yeah. just not something, even meditation, the stages of meditation into samadhi, it's difficult. Yeah. And that's why, um, I don't know if you, you saw it in the uh, the, la- the first five sutras I did in the um, third book in, in the first edition. And I described meditation, the stages, like putting oil on a piece of cloth or leather. The fir- if you put it on for a short time, it won't soften the leather. If you put it on for a longer time in your work, it starts to short- soften it. But if you leave it on for a long time, the leather becomes pliable. And that's what happens if it's a short meditation, it's dhyana. If it's longer, it's, I'm sorry, dharna. If it's shorter, it's dhyana. And then if you absorb, you get into into samadhi, which then leads you into the cities. So it's Uh very logical if you look at it that way. I like that because absorption. I'm so excited about this. Yeah. Um, No, I like that because that word absorption is what they use sometimes, right? To define samadhi, absorption. I like that. Um, What about Pada 4? Can you talk about that a little bit? Pada 4 is really the the most esoteric. I mean, here we're getting into... uh, It was interesting. I'm doing an advanced uh, course on a regular basis. And the other day, someone asked me uh, about that, and they said, um, how come there's no real mention of death in the sutras? They, you know, it's casually mentioned a few times. I no. said, because it doesn't pay attention to the body. It's about the spirit. And the fourth part of the Kvalya, which we call mm-hmm. absoluteness, which has no bearing on anything, um, <laughs> is so far out. But yeah. you know what it comes back to, Jeevana? And this is why I got so excited about it. It starts talking, and even in Pada 3, it starts talking about the Hridaya. The Hridaya is the spiritual heart. Mm-hmm. And one of the things about reading the mind, it says when you know the contents of the Hridaya, all the thoughts are known. Mm-hmm. So it tells you you go in through the heart to, to understand the mind. So that keeps coming back in the mm-hmm. third or fourth pada. Get back to the heart. Let the mind go. Go back to the heart. And I love that. Yeah. I love that. I love, that. I love yeah. that too. That reminds me of, do you know, oh gosh, in one of the Upanishads, there's that beautiful quote about you know all the universe is inside this little place in the heart i don't know you know i'm paraphrasing yeah it's um, um, it talks about the light in the center of the heart yeah that um that is our guide that's where our spirit lives they, yeah. they call it a small still flame in the center mm-hmm. of the heart 
uh, mm -hmm. and the Upanishads. And that's actually where I went to get my definition for the second sutra, Yoga Chitta Vritti Naroda. Because mm -hmm. everybody else translated it through the mind, and I knew it wasn't mind. So I went back to the Upanishads, and sure enough, it says mm -hmm. very clearly that we, we reside in the small flame in our hearts. Is that your translation of the sutra too? I actually have the book, but it's over there in my bookshelf. So <laughs> you, no, can you just tell me? The sutra, um, it's yoga is the uniting of consciousness in the heart. Yeah, right. right. That's it. That's, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Because the mind will only take you so far. It, mm -hmm. it starts coming in with doubts. It starts coming in with, am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Or then, I'm smarter than everybody. I'm better than everybody. And But the heart never does that. One of my mm -hmm. favorite quotes about the heart, Henri, I forget his name, who quoted, and he said, the heart has reasons that reason knows nothing of. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. The heart has reasons that reason knows nothing of. Nothing of. Yeah. I mean, that's like, I always go to like the Bhakti poets, you know, like Rumi and Kabir, they always had that down. Like they yeah. get that, you know, that like, stop trying to understand, okay. like just feel, you know, or Mirabai, you know, the great poet, like that they say it so clearly that, and I think, yeah, it's so awesome that you bring that in because we use such an intellectual um, approach to the yoga teachings. And it just, I think it's, I think it's all dangerous, actually. It is dangerous. Yeah. Because, and then, see, I, I think in our society, we have taken the heart out and we put the mind in, and even in the mm -hmm. languaging. Um, and then we bring yeah. in science, which confuses everyone. People don't, having been, still am a scientist, I understand that science changes. People think science is always the same. And it's not, it changes. As you learn new things, the whole hypothesis can change. Everything changes in it. And, but the heart never changes. The heart always sees love and light and the other person is our own being. So mm -hmm. it's, um, I'm just hoping there's a shift. That's, that's my hope and all I can do, I'm just a small voice and I can just put out the book and hope that people understand it. And the same with the namaste effect. I did the namaste effect as love through the chakras. Mm -hmm. So each chakra you can love. You love differently from each chakra. The base chakra, you love your home, you love your uh, mm. surroundings, you love your earth, everything like that. And it keeps changing as we go through the different chakras. So I think in our society, we want things to stay the same. And life never stays the same. So we're disappointed. <laughs> no. Instead, uh -huh. we need to go to the one thing that does never change, and that's the spirit. Mm -hmm. So that's that's what I've been hoping to convey to people. And, and what do you think about contemporary teaching? I mean, I don't know if you can, if you have a comment or like a thought about the way that you see yoga 
these days. And I have to say, like, I, th I think it's such a diverse community, but in the West, especially in the U S it seems like it's still a very physical practice. Um, I just wonder if you have thoughts about that, about the way that we're practicing. I, so it's very interesting to me, but not surprising that the United States took on this physical physicality because it's very safe. We don't have to delve into the mind and what the mind is doing. We don't have to delve into, are we connected with the spirit? So mm -hmm. we, we, we worship the physical. The problem is the physical will change. And then when it changes, we get upset. I hear people say, well, I've been practicing yoga. Why should I get sick? Uh -huh. Well, there's so many other factors in why we get sick. Yeah. Um, so the other thing that the yoga community has done in, in the, um, mostly in the United States, because I travel all over and I see the, the differences, but mostly in the United States, it has taken on, and COVID certainly changed this to be more extreme, um, we've made it like a college course. We've made it intellectual. So we have people take a course, we have them write a paper on it. Um, we grade them on it, etc. And then we give them a certificate to teach yoga. I, you know, it just doesn't seem enough for me. So uh -huh. what I'm actually doing in my life is I'm going back to the old style of uh, the teacher mentoring the students, the teacher um, uh, having a small group. That's the other thing. We've taken on these huge groups. You can't really impart the teachings because to me, yoga teachings are not just something in a book. Otherwise, I just send people my book. Right. But it's the shakti. It's the energy of the teacher that you're receiving that mm -hmm. helps you understand what you're learning. And then you go and pass that on to the next. Like you were just talking. I gave it to you and now you're giving it to other people and other people will do the same. That's mm -hmm. the way it's always been. It's always been teacher, student, teacher, student. And I think all this going to books and this mental learning is, is actually not different than what they did with nurses. When I was in training, the mm. nurses went right into the hospital and were trained with patients almost immediately. Now they mm -hmm. sit in the classroom for two to three years. Mm. It's very different. Mm -hmm. So there has to be, first of all, there has to be the balance of teaching and practice, your own practice, and not just asana. There has to be that deeper practice where you get the energy, where you get the shakti, to be able to impart to the other person. That's how, how it all works. So I think that mm -hmm. we have gotten on a university track in this country. Yeah. And we're teaching yoga in that way, not the way Patanjali taught it or it was taught years ago, sitting under a tree, listening to a teacher give a discourse. And then at a certain point, the teacher said, okay, here's the practice. Go off for three days, practice it, and come back and tell me what you experienced. Mm -hmm. We don't do that. And, and people are so mm -hmm. quick. They want to teach. They don't take the time to learn. Mm -hmm. How many years 
do we sit there before we can tell people? That to me is very, yeah. very, very important. And you know, the only way I taught is Swami Satchidananda walked up to me one day and said, you're ready to teach. Yeah. I said, I'm not ready to teach. She said, yes, you are. You have enough. So that's what I was sort of hoping this would get to, but not when you have a hundred people in a classroom. You can't do that. It becomes, mm -hmm. especially on Zoom, it becomes like a um, university class. So, mm -hmm. sorry, didn't mean to offend anybody. That's okay. That's no, it's okay. I, I agree and to an extent because I find many people um, come to me and they, it's like they don't know how to deal with real people. I think in, in teacher training, sometimes we're working on this like idealized body. Like we work with people who have no, I, I don't know what, like non-disabled bodies, um, thin, able very flexible. Bodies, what? Able bodies, they call yeah, them. Yeah, able bodies. So then, you know, then you go to real life and you're like, oh, wow, what do I do with real people? Yeah. Um, and that's, I think that's a problem. It's like, mm -hmm. you have to really understand what it's like to work with real people. I um, totally agree with that. Yeah. And I would even add that when you start working with people who are not able-bodied and have issues, whether it's body, mind, etc., it's too simplistic. They say, oh, if this person could only do shoulder stand twice a day, they wouldn't have thyroid problems. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not that simple. No. It's just not that simple. The thyroid problem comes because something back in the chain got disrupted. Thyroid problems just don't happen. So, mm -hmm. or whatever, heart problems or whatever it is as the disability. And um, we have to have the compassion not only for the physicality of it, but to understand that that person just doesn't understand that there's other components to it. Like, why would yeah. meditation help my heart, right? Right. Or the pain in my, from my bone cancer. It doesn't yeah. make sense that it would help, but it does. Yeah, and I don't know how you got people to do it. Like, how did you convince them? Well... Most of our people were so sick that mm. it, was, it was a choice. Yoga, death, or surgery. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, well, we'll give it a try. <laughs> yeah, no, I remember I remember some of those students fondly. Really amazing. Very inspired. Yep. Um, yeah, I guess because it's like if you are, if you really have not very good options, then yoga sounds better sure you know does. the discipline of yoga isn't so scary um but you know the, but yeah. thing, the miracle of it Juvena, is they got it mm -hmm. they really understood it after they practiced it let me just give you yeah. one very sweet example uh this man was coming back for his second or third cardiac retreat and so he had been on a vegetarian diet as he thought for cholesterol reasons, because that's all we talked about in the beginning. And then I was giving a talk and I was talking about ahimsa, which we just talked about a while ago. And I said, it's when you feel compassion for the animals that you don't just don't want to eat them. 
And hmm, so he got this very curious look on his face and he raised his hand. And I said, I called on him. And he said, I never heard this before or thought about it. He said, but I noticed something different when I became a vegetarian. I said, what was it? He said, butterflies land on me now. <laughs> and I just went, oh, to me, what it said is his heart was healing. Hmm. That's what it told me. Yeah, and that's sweet. Because we make those leaps by ourselves, but yet we need someone to validate them for us most of the time. Mm -hmm. Is that right? I, so I just had tears in my eyes when he told me that. And I, said, <laughs> I think that's why they land on you now. It was so, yeah. he, he became five. He became wow. five in that yeah, innocence, yeah. in that sweetness, in that watching butterflies land on him. So Amazing. that's what kept me going all the years. <laughs> and uh -huh. that's why uh, I'm still going and doing it because people like that who got it. You know, people that's like awesome. that. And, and he's just one of thousands. Yeah. Um, but it's very powerful. And so how can people find you? I mean, your new book, well, your, the new edition comes out in May, May 10th. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the Secret Power of Yoga with the uh, third and fourth padas, which is very exciting. And what else can we, I know you have online classes, right? I do people have can online classes that people can take for credit for Yoga Alliance <laughs> or for IAYT or just for their own knowledge, which is wonderful. And mm -hmm. I'm still doing classes, some live. Uh, I have one in actually in California next month uh, mm. on uh, Subtle Anatomy. So if they look on our website, uh, the courses are listed. Some are on Zoom, okay. some are live at this point. And okay. um, yeah. Are you going to work on another book, you think? Probably. Uh, you don't ask a woman on the delivery table when she's having her next baby. <laughs> but okay. um, uh, I enjoy writing. <laughs> And um, I enjoy hearing from people how they're what they're getting out of it. So yeah. probably something will come along. But first, I have uh, to birth yeah. this one. <laughs> okay, I know people always ask me that too. It's really too much to ask when you've just published or just publishing another. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much. Anything else you want to share with us? I just appreciate your time and everything I've learned from you. And um, you know, I really hope that people will read your books. Uh, we'll put links in the show notes so people can find well, them I and you. I just hope that people find their own heart. That's mm -hmm. that's my only hope. Well, however means that is, whether it's from the sutras, whether it's from yoga, whether it's from their own tradition, just in, in this world, we need to be with our hearts. Mm -hmm. That's the main thing. And everybody else's heart. Yeah. So love, I know it sounds old and corny, and it's still <laughs> good. We need to love each other. We need to love each other. And ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Jeeva, for ourselves. having me. And um, yeah. it's been a joy. Much too long. And, I know. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for the Accessible Yoga Podcast. We're so grateful to be in community with you. 
Please check out our website, accessibleyoga.org, to find out more about our upcoming programs, including our annual Accessible Yoga Conference. At our website, you can also learn more about how to become an Accessible Yoga Ambassador and support the work that we are doing in the world. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review wherever you listen. We'd love to hear your thoughts. You can also submit a question or suggest a topic or potential guest you'd like us to interview at accessibleyoga.org. See you next time.